It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Shannon Bream. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Kennedy, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, August 17th, 2022. I'm Dave Anthony. He's driving controversy with every bus he sends north full of illegal immigrants. And Texas Governor Greg Abbott has no plans to stop. As governor, I've done more than any governor in the history of the United States of America to secure the border. It is now time uh, for states like New York and cities like New York City to begin to shoulder some of that burden. I'm Alex Hogan. A long-form report details years of cover-up of sexual assault within the Mormon church, and now one Utah politician in the church is calling for new legislation. Let's make sure we protect this child, uh, whatever that whatever that takes, whatever that looks like. And I'm Tommy Lahren. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. This is what controversy sounds like. Just about every day lately, you can hear the squeals of a bus arriving in New York City in Washington, carrying migrants sent from Texas. Amid a surge at the border, Governor Greg Abbott blames on President Biden's administration and its policies. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser says local taxpayers are not picking up the tab and should not pick up the tab. Um, and we really need a coordinated federal response. She's trying to get the National Guard to help deal with the Thousands of migrants who came to the U.S. illegally then were shipped there from Texas. Several hundred more are now in New York City. We are going to provide these families with the dignity that the Texas governor failed to do. That is who we are as New Yorkers. Mayor Eric Adams says Governor Abbott is using the migrants as political pawns. He is a anti-American governor that is really going against everything we stand for. But former New York governor David Patterson, a Democrat like Adams, called Abbott's plan a brilliant stunt, while Adams seeks payback with a stunt of his own. I am deeply contemplating taking a busload of New Yorkers uh, to go to Texas and do some good old-fashioned door knocking uh, because we we have to, for the good of America, we have to get him out of office. Governor Abbott says go ahead. That would only help him. And he says the buses will keep coming. The number of migrants he has to send is... Unlimited. Uh, we will continue to bus people to Washington, D.C., to New York City, and maybe to other locations. Governor Greg Abbott is a Republican running for re-election in Texas. What's happening with these illegal immigrants is that the Border Patrol is dropping them off in local communities along the border that have no way of, of accommodating uh, these illegal immigrants. And so I'm helping the local communities uh, by busing the, the migrants out of these local communities and sending them up to the northeast where they have self-identified as sanctuary cities where they want to welcome in uh, any illegal immigrant, and I'm more than happy to accommodate them. Now, obviously, the mayor of New York City, he's said what you're doing is anti-American. The commissioner of immigrant affairs in New York says what you're doing is morally corrupt, using these migrants as political pawns. Your response? Well, uh, that's, that's a brutal condemnation of Joe Biden. 
because if you recall, Joe Biden has been doing this even more extensively than we have. What Joe Biden has done is to, uh, in the darkness of night, uh, put these illegal immigrants on planes and flying them into New York. Uh, and, you know, the, the mayor of New York was complaining about the large number of illegal immigrants they had before Texas began busing them to Washington, I mean, to Washington, D.C., and, and before we began uh, busing them to New York City. Uh, and it, it turns out that all of those people that were gathered there in New York illegally were because Joe Biden brought them in. And not once did the New York mayor ever condemn uh, the Biden administration for what they were doing uh, to put those illegal immigrants into New York City. For one, for another, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. You know, they, they say that this is what they want to do uh, and that we all, you know, Texas need to step up and help America. Well, by God, Texas is on the front line here. Uh, of, of trying to help America by taking unprecedented action. As governor, I've done more than any governor in the history of the United States of America to secure the border. It is now time uh, for states like New York and cities like New York City to begin to shoulder some of that burden. Now, New York's mayor is also saying that they've been forced to go, essentially, and not allowed to get off the bus, almost like they were tricked. They couldn't go anywhere but New York City. What do you say to that? Before uh, the migrants get on the buses, uh, they sign a form agreeing to get on the bus. And on that form, it has the pre-identified destination. Uh, They they actually get to choose, do they want to go to uh, the capital of the United States of America or do they want to go to New York City? Uh, And the people who are going to New York are choosing to go to New York. So last month, you signed an executive order that allows state troopers to take migrants and bring them back to ports of entry in Texas. The ACLU is trying to get the federal government to stop cooperating with you. Is that how you are getting the migrants to put on buses? No, that's that's unrelated to the migrant situation. So let me break this down for your audience. Okay, okay. There's several different ways in which we deal with the migrants. Step number one, we have the National Guard on the border. And the National Guard on the border uh, is in charge of, among other things, turning back illegal immigrants. Uh, And they have turned back tens of thousands of illegal immigrants before they could ever even get into Texas. Secondly, the Texas Department of Public Safety, uh, if if migrants do get into Texas, uh, they will arrest them and send them back to the border. The the people that we're busting don't fall into either of those two categories. Uh, uh, A third category is the most voluminous category, uh, and that is illegal immigrants who come across the border and immediately turn themselves into border patrol border patrol will process their paperwork allowing them to stay in the united states of america and then drop them off in these local communities across the border it's that last category uh, that is providing uh, the volume that we are dealing with that we are busing from texas to washington dc and new york okay all right and how is that being funded for your state, how are you doing that? So, uh, for the most part, it's the state of Texas that's funding it. What, what the state has done is really unprecedented because uh, we have allocated more than $4 billion of Texas taxpayer money for Texas to uh, not just uh, bus illegal immigrants and not just to secure the border, but also to build a border wall ourselves. But on top of that, We've had an outpouring of support from people across the entire country wanting to help out. And if your listeners want to help out, you can go to a website, it's borderbus.texas, 
www.mecca.gov and make a donation. You have also, in the last few months, been trying to do some of the work on border wall building that was stopped after President Trump left office. Where is Texas on that? So we were able to, uh, in a fashion far faster than what President Trump was able to do, to begin building the border wall. And the reason is simple, and that is some of the land, not very much, but some of the land on the border is owned and controlled by the state of Texas. We were able to build border wall on those areas using the same contractors, the same materials, uh, and the same wall uh, that President Trump uh, put up. Uh, Now what we're doing is exactly what President Trump did, which kind of slowed down his process, and that is we're going through land acquisition process uh, so we can gather more land from private property owners so that we can begin building border walls on those areas. That's what, if you you go back in time to when President Trump built the wall, you know uh, that it took him well over a year from the time he began the process to the time he began putting up the wall. And the main reason for that delay uh, was the time that it took to acquire the land. We have uh, a a team of people with a state agency that are working with local landowners, putting together parcels of land on which we can build even more border wall. Governor Abbott's Democratic challenger in November is Beto O'Rourke, a former congressman who ran for president in 2020, you might recall, as a gun control advocate and is running for Texas governor on the same platform. That we take common sense steps, we find the common ground. Democrats and Republicans, gun owners, non-gun owners. O'Rourke is pushing a ban on so-called assault weapons, like the rifle the gunman used to murder 19 students and two teachers in a Uvalde school back in May. The Dallas Morning News has a new poll that shows two-thirds of Texans want Governor Abbott to call a special legislative session to deal with mass shootings. Here's the reality, and that is the FBI put out a report, and it showed that the for last year, the number one state in America for mass shootings wasn't a state like Texas. It was California. The point is this. California has some of the most restrictive gun laws in the United States, uh, and until recently, uh, they had a ban on someone age 18 from buying an, an AR. The reason why I say until recently is because in May of this year, a, a federal court of appeals struck down that ban as unconstitutional. Here's the point. I, I know that there are, are people in Texas and elsewhere who would like to see a prohibition on 18-year-olds uh, from buying uh, an AR. The fact of the matter is federal courts have struck that down as unconstitutional. So what we need to do is that because California uh, is really the, the leader uh, in mass shootings, and you see places like Chicago, it proves one fact, and that is more gun laws don't lead to less gun crime. We need to get to the root of the problem. The real root of the problem uh, is the mental health status of these people who are school shooters. We've seen uh, studies that show characteristics of these school shooters, and they're very common. Uh, And what Texas has done to respond to that, uh, we've provided an unprecedented amount of funding for mental health for students in schools so that we will be able to address uh, the, the mental health challenges that our students in schools are having so that we can prevent future acts of violence. In Uvalde, there was a big focus on the law enforcement's response 
What do you want done after that to bolster what happened and what could happen in the future at schools? First, we want accountability. Uh, what happened in Uvalde is uh, the response by law enforcement did not comply with the national standard, the state standard, or even the local standard of what the response is. Let's go back in time. The, the response to a school shooting nationally was developed in the aftermath of the shooting in Columbine. And what the standard is, is uh, to run toward the shooter and take the shooter out without hesitation, knowing that seconds count. And as many Americans have seen, uh, that's not what law enforcement did in Uvalde. They violated uh, that protocol, and there needs to be accountability for that. And second, what we want to do as a state, myself and the the legislature, we're going to reevaluate this about uh, who is the incident commander. In this case, it was the police, the local school district police chief. Uh, We will uh, reevaluate who the incident commander should be in a situation like this, uh, and we likely will reaffirm the standard uh, that if there is a school shooting or some other type of mass shooting, uh, you go directly to the shooter and take the shooter out without hesitation. If you as a law enforcement officer are not up to that job, you need to find another job. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, a Republican, thank you very much for joining us this morning. My pleasure. You all take care. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. This is Tommy Lahren with your Fox News commentary coming up. Every year, millions of children suffer sexual abuse or exploitation. According to UNICEF, one in 10 girls under the age of 20 years old has been forced into a sexual act. The international problem is prevalent in nearly every segment of society. A new report by the Associated Press unveils cover-ups in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and measures taken by Mormon officials that prevented confessions of abuse and rape from getting passed on to authorities. One politician says that he is introducing legislation that would require clergy to report child abuse. This was in the works well before that came out, that particular story. Here's Utah Representative Phil Lyman. But the story just totally highlights Um, exactly the issue here, I believe. A lot of family members of victims are calling on the church to do more, saying that there are too many pathways to protect people who might be committing these types of acts, something that you yourself have said that you agree with. So how true is this across the board? Well, the law, the way it's written right now, is just so um, nebulous. And it's one of the least enforced laws. I don't know how you really could enforce it um, and uh, regardless of the exception for the clergy, which then just throws in uh, a whole different twist, it almost justifies a bad law by saying, "Well, but the clergy is exempt." And I don't know that I don't know that changing, you know, taking away the exception for clergy is really going to impact people's lives as much as addressing this law in general and saying, "Okay, well, what is our responsibility to the children and to and to a person who wants to change their life and you know come clean?" Right now, the law is so riddled with nebulous language and subjective language that, that it really throws it into a space where, where a person in that situation is just left to their own to their own best judgment. And that's not the way, from a legislative standpoint, that's not the way the law is supposed to, to read. 
Yeah, well, just to bring others up to speed with how this works and how varied it is state to state, right now there's about 20 states that currently require clergy to report sexual child abuse and neglect. But at the same time, there there is other parts of that saying that, quote, they may withhold information if they deem it's responsible under the church doctrine. So how do you separate those two and what measures can you put in place to really protect and prevent clergy from withholding this kind of information going forward? I, I, I think that's the question of the day, honestly, is it was what can you do to, pre- to prevent this um, this abuse? So when I read Utah's law, it has things like a reason to believe that a child is or has been or would reasonably be subject to neglect or abuse. When you start throwing reasonably into the into the legal language and it's like we've tied this into this big old knot of anybody in that situation would would look at that and say i'm not sure what i'm supposed to do so some churches have said okay well that's why we have this hotline even though i'm sure it's well intended the net result is that people who are in danger are not getting um help and 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 you know as soon as i say that i think you know is the state the best uh entity to step in and, and help these families do they are they better than the church I'm not sure that they always are, which maybe we need to have a little bit better oversight over our agencies. Maybe they should have more defined investigative procedures and reporting requirements themselves so that we're functional, so that it's clear mm-hmm. and it's bright line language in, in these laws. So uh, it, it needs a lot of work and it's so vitally important. Uh, you know, any family that is, is dealing with this is in a really, really rough um, spot and it, it just can't be kicked over into, you know, legal debates for, for months on end. Yeah. And just to, again, bring our listeners uh, into the conversation a little more, the the hotline that we're talking about, this was a hotline that was created in 1995 in the Church of Latter-day Saints. And it essentially was a forum in order to pass some of, of these reports along to see what the best course uh, of action would be. But in this case that we saw the Associated Press report, the hotline had been used and abuse went on for years and years. So despite, as as you mentioned, potentially efforts and what the goals were intentionally, it's not being met, at least not 100%. Yeah, that's, 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 that's right. Um, you know, it, from a religious standpoint, when a person wants to repent, um, confession is a really important part of that. And confession is a really important part of our society and to take responsibility for your actions and to actually be able to speak those things out loud to another person is so important. But also, a person who is in a repentant state is willing to take the, uh, you know, the consequences or whatever may come from that. To say, you know, I if, if I'm in that situation, I say, well, I want to repent, but I don't want any legal repercussions from this. That's not true repentance. And it's a strange place for a clergy member to find themselves when they're being used almost as a buffer between, you know, that person's conscience and what they really need to do to take responsibility. And I think the clergy's responsibility is to help them to step forward and take responsibility and maybe coach them through that because it is very difficult. And someone that has that desire, you don't want them to be you know, dissuaded from moving forward with that desire. And, um, um, and, and that's where I think the clergy can step in. And if, and, if, and if the clergy says, you know, I simply don't want to be in a position where I'm going to report this, then they should probably disclose that at the beginning of a, of a sit down, of every sit down interview. And then I don't know if they're really, you know, functioning in the space that they were supposed to function in, which is to which is to help people take full responsibility, regardless of those consequences. 
So your new plan in terms of introducing this new legislation, let's break this down a little bit. What exactly would change if all of your goals are passed? The bill that I introduced really and my and my uh, press release was really an invitation to discuss this. And I want a discussion about it. So I look at the I look at the exception and the exception is it, it doesn't make any sense. So so I'd like to see I'd like to see the legislature have the discussion. I hope that the LDS Church will, you know, support this effort and engage in the in the conversation. And I believe they will. I'm an active member of the LDS faith, and I, I'm, you know, devout member. So I, I I don't feel like I'm trying to poke anybody in the eye or shake up anybody's uh, system. It's just from a legislative standpoint, my goal would be to create some clear language that that is actually meaningful in this space because it's so important. And better protection for for victims, especially when we are seeing cases of systemic abuse, when we're talking about the rape of of children, even even babies. So when you have conversations, not only on the legislative side, but within members of your faith, have you heard uh, commentary of people being receptive to this and hopeful that this could bring about better change? Overwhelmingly positive response to this with with some exceptions and the exceptions come from people who say you know do you really want to um turn all this over to the state uh with their bureaucracy and the answer is no i I don't like the bureaucracy of the state and i'd like to address that too Mm -hmm. Um, but when we're talking about the kinds of incidences that we've seen that are you know clearly you know threatening to to children that's not that's that's not someplace where you say well let's let's Make sure we keep this confidence. That's let's make sure we protect this child, uh, whatever that whatever that takes, whatever that looks like. Um, but it has to go. It has to move quickly, and it has to be done, you know, without equivocation. And and that child's uh, safety has got to be protected. And then you take that. You you can take the flip side. Maybe an overzealous person, whether it be whether it be in the clergy or not, but an overzealous person who is reporting their neighbor because you know they're. Their kids were playing outside without atten- you know, a parent attending and things like that. So we don't we don't want to create, you know, a situation where we make criminals out of people who are not criminals. But we certainly don't want to create a situation where truly dangerous um, people who are out of control and admittedly out of control are just um, left un- unchecked. And, and the, the victims that are in their wake are are having their lives destroyed in the meantime. That's not acceptable. Uh, from a, again, from the from the plain language that the law should provide, that's simply not acceptable. Yeah, and we when we look at the the population of Utah and the predominance of of people who are in the Church of um, Latter Day Saints in Utah, do you think that there will be any hurdles potentially getting any of this passed or moving forward with new policies potentially in place? The, the challenge with uh, in, in Utah. Is always kind of you know turning that jet that giant ship uh, slightly um, because it is very large and very ingrained mm-hmm. in the society and and has a you know well established hierarchy of leadership and and things like that which we which we as members don't typically challenge or question. So my challenge as a legislator is to have those meaningful discussions and and yeah I, I don't know how anyone who's actually willing to sit down and read this section of code could disagree that. It needs it needs to be changed. And as far as the the exception for clergy, honestly, if you're going to accept clergy, you should accept best friends and family members and 
and, and anybody else who who is told something in confidence and that's not the I, it, it doesn't make sense to say, you know, that only the clergy are accepted from this. And really, nobody should be accepted, I guess, is what I'm coming down to, is nobody should be accepted from obligation to report responsibly to a responsible entity. And that's the next that's the next chapter of this is, OK, do we have responsible organizations who will handle this professionally and not be used as a as a as a tool in hands of somebody that's vindictive and we do unfortunately see that sometimes as well so you've got to stay you got to stay in the middle of the road on this on this legal language and not with all of these detours and you know loopholes how did this come about for you to take up this issue why is this such an important topic for you personally well this this has come up in the legislature a couple of times um and it's never made it it's never actually made it out of uh, the rules committee to even be heard in a standing committee um, and I think just given the the current environment that, that people are in, I think it's more relevant now than ever. I think the time is right for it to come forward. And um, and I do feel like being a legislator who is an active member of the of the LDS faith and um, you know devout and and interested in solving the problem versus uh, identifying you know, problems with the with the organization. Hopefully that hopefully that carries a little different tone, a little bit different flavor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 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 yeah, I, I I believe that it's the right time. It's and and it, and and the language is with what I've proposed so far is is about as simple as you can get. Just remove the exception. I do think it's going to lead to a discussion about the underlying law. If there's no exception, and maybe we do need to look at the underlying law. Utah State Representative Phil Lyman, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. In other news, I'm Gianna Gelosi. What do candy corn and football season have in common? At first thought, not much. But candy company Brock's is tying the two together for a fall tailgate season special just for your taste buds. Enter tailgate candy corn, blending all your favorite flavors of a football stadium tailgate and the controversial candy of Halloween. The candy comes in five flavors, hamburger, hot dog, popcorn, vanilla ice cream, and fruit punch. Last year, Brock's compiled a list of 20 states that eat the most candy corn and found fans in California, Texas, Florida, New York, and Michigan. All big football states, might I add. But the candy is controversial. Many people say they straight up can't stand the stuff. Even some say it's like the peeps of Halloween candy. That same survey from before, though, found that Alabama, Hawaii, Nebraska, Vermont, and Wisconsin have the lowest candy corn sales. But if you are a fan of the waxy candy or you're just a little bit intrigued by this whole thing, you can pick up the tailgate candy corn at participating Walgreens until the end of October. A company spokesperson says an 11-ounce bag is going to retail between $3.49 and $3.69. If fruit punch and hot dog candy corn not really your style, well, Brock says they're going to be releasing more candy corn surprises in the weeks leading up to Halloween. So keep your eyes and taste buds Peeled. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tom What's on your mind? The popular Texas-based amusement park Six Flags has lost about 2 million customers in the last year, and shares are also down about 18%. The company's CEO is blaming out-of-control teens and their absentee parents for the steep decline in park attendance, saying it became a cheap daycare center for teenagers during breaks in the summers. And he's not wrong. Out-of-control teens have been blamed for several violent outbursts in several locations over the last year. Last month in New Jersey, a teen was arrested for aggravated assault after attacking a police officer sent to the park to tamp down on the chaos. In response, to this growing problem, the company is hiking prices to drive out the riffraff, as they should. There is no reason decent people should have to fear for their family's safety in an amusement park of all places. Where are the parents? Where is the discipline? Our country is becoming one giant lawless free-for-all, and it's beyond disappointing we allow it to continue. It's time to start showing some tough love to these teens enough. I'm Tommy Laren, and you can listen to all of my hot takes at foxnewscommentary.com. Listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up to the minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.